I'm sure there's not too many preachers um, that would envy the uh, position that I find myself in. Uh, for the past several weeks, we've been on aircraft that has been flown by expertly educated and trained pilots. They've been flying uh, like the Blue Angels. They've been, you know how they fly, they, they, they fly close to the mountains, they fly down to the valleys, they crisscross, they fly underneath bridges, they do all of that. And I am, I am not such a pilot. Um, I, um, I'm a pilot of an Airbus. <laughs> and if you know what an Airbus is, it's this, uh, it, it doesn't speak of the size of the pilot, it's the size of the aircraft that is designed to carry uh, a lot of weight, a lot of persons over a short distance for a very happy conclusion. And that's what I would like to do today. I am not equal uh, to my two fellow pastors that have been doing most of the preaching most recently. But by God's help, I'd like to take this group, which would fit on an Airbus, and fly you uh, to a really, really happy place that you'll enjoy the scenery all the way along the way. So let's have a look then at... Um, Mark chapter 16, and realized that nobody thought, okay, nobody thought it was going to end like this. Nobody was predicting this. Nobody thought that the Messiah, Israel's king who was coming, the miracle worker, the one who healed the sick and raised the dead, the one who, who was a prophet like no other prophet, Nobody ever thought that that one who, who fed thousands, who spoke as no other man had ever spoken, who quoted the Old Testament like he wrote it. Nobody thought that it would end the way Pastor Jonathan opened up to us last week in verse 46 of chapter 15, and Joseph bought a linen shroud, he, and taking him down, can you imagine, you've got to be there and see him taken down from the cross, and pulled off the nails, falling into the arms of Joseph of Arimathea, who wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. The last people, the last persons at the cross were the feminine gender. They were ladies. Wow, aren't, aren't we men rebuked, aren't we? Bravery and courage and strength of character do not reside only with us. And sometimes when it's absent from us, it's in you. It's in, it's in you ladies. It's in Deborah. Because we're going to find that they're the first at the tomb. I've entitled the sermon, uh, Tomb Words. 
because uh, in the first place there are words and circumstances in verses 1 through 4. On the way to the tomb, uh, secondly, there are words and directions from someone still in the tomb in verses 5 through 8. And then for the rest of the chapter, in verses 9 through 19, there are words and activities of one who was already out of the tomb. Glory to God. And there are, there are two broad observations that I'd like to give you right away so that you don't miss them. Uh, it's, it, the passage is permeated with, with, with two things that are repeatedly emphasized. There is this strange shadow of unbelief which, which drifts over the passage. You, as, as Jim Bertram read it, he, he, you heard the words, they would not believe, they did not believe, at, at least three times. But you'll also see something that there, which is what I want my emphasis to be, because I believe this overrides it, this eclipses it, is is the consolation and the light and the encouragement that overcomes all of the unbelief. It's, it's a glorious text of Scripture. It chases all the shadows away. Well, point number one then, please. Uh, in verses 1 through 5, the words and circumstances on the way to the tomb. You notice that is a beautiful sight of two Marys, one of which is very familiar to us, Mary Magdalene. And why are they going there? Well, the scripture is clear. They're going there to anoint the body. They're not going there to embalm the body, but they're going there to show honor with, with the ointment and, and, and the spices that they have purchased. And they've gone early. They've gotten up at dawn. You see that in, in, in the text. And, and, and they're doing it as soon as they can. Verse 2 says, And very early... On the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. That's, and, 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 and the other gospel writers say the same thing. It was very close, very early, early in the morning. And it's interesting, though, who's not with them? There's no men with them. We can only guess. We can't be sure why that is. But John chapter 20 and verse 19 may help us. It simply says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. It seems that... um, At least part of the reason, I don't know whether they invited men to come with them, we don't know. We do know this. They went. They went, just the two of them. They went um, to that place where they saw him buried. And, 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 And you see such devotion, such earnestness. Uh, it's been underscored in other sermons with all the ointment poured out, the perfume that filled the room when he was anointed before he died. But you see here, you see such intensity, such love. But their love is uninformed. Their love is mistaken. Their love isn't considering everything. 
What about the Roman guards? What about the stone? They haven't thought about these things because their love is, is outrunning their headlights. So no matter what you say about them, it was still love. It was still devotion. It was still dedication. And, and they did it by themselves, just the two of them. There was nobody else going with them. There was no crowd going to the tomb that morning. But at the same time, the shadow of unbelief filters in with all this love. Because you know they did not expect him to be alive. They expected to find a corpse. And I don't know, again, we can't nail this down, but these are the ladies while he was in Galilee, according to, to, to chapter 15 and verse 41, that followed him and ministered to him. And there were many other women who came up to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem. You would have to assume it seems it seems altogether probable that that he had he had told them. Ooh, he did tell them. Because what did the angel say? We'll just jump ahead. The thought just came to me. What did the angel say? Where they would find him? He's in Galilee. Just as he told you. See, the shadow of unbelief, it's, it's sad to see it, but their love is so great, their intentions are so good, they, in, they intend every good thing. And notice as, as they go along in the path of duty, in the path of love, in the path of sacrifice, in, in the path of bravery, they're worried about the stone, and look, in verse 4, the stone is already rolled away. Hallelujah. All the anxiety that, that suddenly came upon them, it, 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 it is rewarded. Their love is rewarded, and God takes care of it. Dear people, isn't that, isn't that our testimony? Isn't, isn't, isn't that how God deals with us? Hasn't he removed obstacles and made plans for you and made arrangements for you over and over again? Have you ever had anxiety about something? Have you ever worried about the future? And when you got there, you found there was no ground for it and that God was going to take care of everything. God was going to bless you. Even in the simplest things, I sometimes have anxiety over my luggage. When I'm going to go somewhere and I got, I'm packing hope. I got, I've got all kinds of stuff and I'm, oh God, please, please, may, may it all arrive. It has always arrived. <laughs> he has always gone before me. He's always given me more than I ever expected. And so, if you mark it, if you take note of it, you'll be a thankful, praising person that when you came, the chairs were all set up. And the room was ready. When you got home, the meal was on the table. When you got in your car, it started up and you didn't get a flat tire. There are just a jillion things that are just like this where God is blessing us. And God is taking away any hindrance. God is helping. God is, he's going before us. He's always been going before us. This is what, this is what they found out. 
The record will always be that he has met us, helped us, cleared the way. Yes. And then we anticipate what he's going to use these two ladies for. He's going to use this gender, which is underrated, undervalued, and despised and unadmissible in court. They're going to use their testimony. Well, you know that, that, that this scripture was written by God. Because who would ever pick such un, unlikely witnesses as women in those days? Wow. But he shows us all that he's got a, a, a purpose and a place for all of us. I don't care how weak you are. You're not as weak as I am. And look where I'm standing. I can scarcely believe it. I am a stutterer. I don't have an MDiv. I didn't train for the ministry like others have done. And look where I'm standing. I'm the weakest pastor you have. Here I stand. Take courage. There's things you can do that you never dreamed of. Well, let's look at in in the 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 second place as we hasten on that there were words and directions from someone who was still in the tomb. And you know the tombs then. Um, this particular one, because he was a wealthy man, was carved out of uh, out of rock that was perhaps in the side in the side of a, of a mountain. We can assume that it was large, that it had chambers in it, that it had short tunnels that would lead to the chambers. Whole families could gradually be buried in the same place. You know that from the Old Testament. But some superhuman strength had moved this wheel shaped stone, quite large, that was generally rolled into a groove, and maybe not so much like this, but maybe faintly like this, like the stopper in your sink, where it would fit in, because it wasn't going to be open and closed very often, and in the hot sun, the hot climate of that part of the world in Israel, decomposition would be taking place very rapidly. And you remember what they said about Lazarus. There'll be a stench. Well, something happened, according to Matthew 28, 1, an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. I want to ask you a question. Just a, I can't answer it, okay? It's a curiosity. Did the angel that had the dazzling apparel that uh, caused those soldiers to tremble and, and, and to be like dead men, when he came down to roll back the stone, did he come down, I'm asking, did he come down to let Jesus out of the tomb? Or did he come down to show that he already left. You know he, he entered the room with the doors locked on two occasions. I don't care how you style it that he unlocked it or he passed through the door or he, he, he simply made an appearance. Just want you to think about it. Did, he, did, did the angels let him out? Did he need help getting out? Or was he already gone and they opened it to show you that he's not here? It's amazing uh, what uh, uh, the angel knew. 
uh, he's inside and we have to uh, assume that he has white glowing apparel it's dark inside of a grave we always picture it with all kinds of light but but there are no there are no torches in this dark cavern but look at all that he knew in 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 verses 5 through 8 he knew that they were alarmed he knew what and who they were looking for he knew that Jesus had been crucified he also knew because you hear what he says he knew that he had arisen and was not there look at the text he also knew what Jesus had told them previously that he would go before them and see them in Galilee I was never so blessed by hearing those words when 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 Pastor Mark brought that to bear in all of their betrayals in his prediction that they would all leave him they'd all run and flee and hide in the midst of all that Jesus says I'll see you after I'm raised I'll see you in Galilee not all the unbelief and all the weakness of his people will ever make him let them go he'll never let you go he'll hang on to you He'll never release you. These people that doubt their salvation when they don't have just cause to do it, I never worry about them. Because God holds them. And I tell them that you have all the evidence of being a Christian, my brother, my sister. I don't know why you're in such consternation. I can't give you assurance, but I can tell you this. If you are saved, you'll never be lost. He'll never let go of you. You're on your way to heaven. As far as I can tell, that's what it is for you. So go do your thing. God will bring you to heaven. He'll still bring you. But all the things that the angel knew, he even knew that they would see him again. He assured them that you'll see him in, in Galilee. He says, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. He knew all about this. See the place where he laid him. But go tell his disciples. He, he knew that they would all see him again. But Bob, I'll tell you what, though, the angel, there's some things the angel didn't know. That no angel knows. Angels are said to desire to have things to look into. They long, First Peter 1.12 says that these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look into. Angels do not know what mercy is. They do not know what the forgiveness of sins is. They do not understand that. They long to look at it. They do not un they, they don't know what sanctification is. They don't know what perseverance is. They don't have any idea of what a fight with sin is. They, they don't know what victory over sin. They don't know any of that. It's beyond their experience. It's beyond their comprehension. He was sent as a messenger to say these things and speak of things which he did not fully understand. He does not know what salvation is. Because it's foreign to him. So, what was the most striking thing that the angel said? It's in verse 7. 
the, 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 the most important thing he said was that he is risen. He is not here. That is the most important thing. That's his testimony. He says, look around. And they wanted to spread the rumor that his disciples had come and stolen him. How stupid that is. On what? Produce the body. Find the body. Get the men who, who, who stole his body away. You can't do any of those things. You have grossly underestimated the occupant of this tomb. You'll never find the bones of Jesus anywhere. Dig, dig, dig. See if you can find it. The, the guards were there keeping it secure. We don't know how many were there. But notice the most striking that he said. In verse 7 he says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter and Peter go and tell his not Peter and the disciples not the supposed head of the Roman Catholic Church and the disciples no go tell the disciples and Peter Peter, the one who betrayed him. Peter, whose heart was broken under deep conviction for his sin. Peter, who wondered if the bond had been broken forever. Peter, who, who, who didn't know if, if he'd ever be useful for anything else ever again. And here's the foreshadowing of his complete restoration. Here, here is, and Peter, you know what I put in my notes? I put and teeth. I am not more worthy than Peter. I put and Keith. You can put your name there. Go and tell those disciples that are performing so well. Go tell the ones that are hiding. And put your name in there. He wants you to know that he is risen from the dead. And he reigns forever and ever. When I read that, and Peter, this is not the matter of men. That's what J.C. Ryle says. This is not the way men, you betray me, I'm going to hold a grudge. You're going to have to really make up for your, but you're saying you don't know me. We, when, when, when we're, we've been friends for years. That, 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 this is the way of grace. The righteous man falls seven times rises again. Hallelujah. Now I want to tell you something that, 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 that I have I've said in Sunday school, because that's where I usually am, and I, I love being a teacher. I, I, I love it. I want to tell you something, though. You never, listen, you never have to fall miserably like Peter did. Never. What does it say about Peter by, by two other evangelists? It says he was following at a distance. And what he was doing physically and geographically at a distance was emblematic of where his heart was. You will never fall like the terrible stories that you've heard about pastors and other righteous people who were famous and, 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 and they fell into sin, they fell into adultery, they, they were in, 
embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars. You hear all these awful stories about people that you felt were really godly, and maybe they are. But how did that happen? Did it happen in a moment like that? No. You will never, ever fall. You stay so close to Christ. You stay close to the cross. Everybody that's fallen, everybody that did that, departed in the secret and private place. It was way back here. You know, you know when Peter departed. You know when, when he began to think great thoughts of himself and how he resisted Jesus and he said, No, no, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you. Oh, he made a big departure because he wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to Jesus. But, he, but I'm telling you, you stay with your Bible. And you stay on your knees. You will never fall. And, and then when a strong temptation comes, it comes suddenly, it comes unexpectedly, you'll stand. You'll stand. You'll resist it because you're so close to the Word and to the Savior and your heart is not in this world. And you'll be able to resist it and turn away. But you start drifting just a wee bit from straight up north and south or straight up to the number 12 on the clock, just a wee bit. And you know where it leads. It, it keeps departing way out there. Just, a, just that little departure. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to comfort you. I'm saying you'll never go through this pain. You'll never weep like Peter did. You'll never be scarred like that. It never happened to you. You stay close to Jesus. You stay close to the cross. You keep right on praying. You walk with him. It, it will never happen to you. Well, let's come to the third heading then, the words and actions of, uh, of the one who was no longer in, in, in the tomb. Never, never, never again. Let me read a statement to you, though, um, be, before we come to verse 9, because I think um, almost all of your Bibles have this uh, bracketed phrase, um, that says something to the effect that that uh, these are um, some of the earliest manuscripts do not in, include these verses. Let me just say this, is that this passage is highly debated um, as excellent biblical scholars fall into two categories. Those who believe that this portion was added later and was not a part of the original text and others that believe exactly the opposite. Both have substantial arguments for their viewpoints all English Bibles have this longer ending. We do not possess the original Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. They have long ceased to exist so far as we know. What we do possess are various Greek manuscript copies and copies of copies, almost 6,000. We have ancient versions, about 2,000, and, and quotations from the Church Fathers, over a million, where they've quoted throughout the Bible. There are times when the available sources used to establish a, a text do not agree. This is the case with Mark, with Mark 16, 9 through 20. And of course the question is to preach or not to preach. What I'm going to do this morning, dear people, is preach the entire section but confirm everything by what is explicitly or principally said, in, in principle said elsewhere. I don't, want to, I don't want to cast doubt. 
the the uh, theology of verses 9 through 11 neither contradicts or adds anything substantially new to what we know from the text with which there is no doubt. It is important to realize that no doctrine of faith is altered by this textual variant in verses 9 through 11 or in any other textual variant found elsewhere in which there is any real doubt about the true reading. Okay? So you don't have to worry about this because I'm going to... As best I can, in the time that's left, I'm going to collate it with, with everywhere else where these very same things are, are, are taught, at least in principle, if not in precept. So let's just go right along. You, you'll see that verse 9 um, speaks of, of, of Jesus' activity, how, how he went first to Mary Magdalene. And she is called the one... Uh, uh, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Is that said anywhere else? Well, of course it is. In 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 Luke chapter eight and in 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 in, in verses two. In verse two, it's, it says seven demons had had uh, gone out of her. Verse ten says she went and told uh, those who had been with him. They weren't. They, they were only silent for a while. They, they were silent because they were afraid. They, they had an encounter with another world. This angel had, had uh, come down. But, but they didn't stay silent. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had, had been seen by her, they, they would not believe. They refused to believe. Well, that... that that same story is told in John chapter 20 and, and, and verse 18 where she says, I have seen the Lord. That he said these things and, and that he said he, he said these things to her. Luke 24, 10 says that when now they were, they were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and also other women with them telling these things to the apostles. But the words appeared to them as nonsense. That's what it says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 10. And they would not believe them. And again, verse 12 links up with Luke 24, 25, where Jesus says to the two men on the road to Emmaus, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have, have spoken. They didn't believe because they had not embraced the whole story. And, he, and, and then, of course, as I've been telling you, the unbelief was dissipated. And the bright light of the gospel shone forth. He opened their hearts to understand the scriptures. And, and, and he spoke about himself from the Old Testament. And they had to confess, didn't our hearts burn within us? While well, he walked with us on, on, on the road. Well, what comfort then? I want to give you some comfort. Look at the beauty. Look at the magnificence of, of, of grace here. It says that Mary had, if Mary had seven demons, who can despair? Who can say, there's no hope for me? I'll tell you something. I would like to meet somebody in these days that I read about in olden days. I would love to meet a despairing sinner. I would like to meet a sinner like Mary or like the, uh, the, the demoniac 
the gathering de demoniac who had legion, I, I would love to hear a sinner say, you know what, PK, Pastor Keith, Keith, you, you know what, I am such a wretched sinner. I have done so many terrible things. You don't know me. I can never be saved. I am so inundated with sin. I'm filthy. I'm a harlot. I'm a drug user. I got tattoos from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I'm a homosexual sometimes. I, I, there's no way that I can be saved. I'd love for somebody to say that to me. Pour in the grace. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our... Wouldn't you love to meet somebody like that? I've never had that happen. I, I hope it does. I read about it. And I've read sermons that, that, that are brought to the, the despairing, degraded sinner to encourage them that there's grace for you. I would love to be able to tell somebody that. Because we are all so high-minded and so sure of ourselves, and, and, and we don't think we're as bad as others. That's our whole culture of the United States of America. We're better than everybody else. Wow. But, but what hope there was. And get this comfort, too, okay? If you were ever troubled by unbelief, I'll confess it right away. I have been. I have been there. Can you believe that I would doubt the reality of these things or that I would doubt my salvation? I would doubt. It was good for me to go through that because I learned. Look, this passage says the apostles doubted. This passage says that people who, who walked with him for three years, who beheld his miracles, who heard his teaching. They all doubted. They all were with unbelief. Do not be discouraged by it. If an apostle can doubt and, and be troubled by unbelief and hear the suggestions of, of, of the devil whispering in his ear, but know this, that he'll bring you through it. For myself, my testimony is I never gave up. I, I, I could never do anything else. I could not stop reading my Bible. I could not stop praying. I could not stop coming to church. I could not stop crying out for more faith. And when, when, and when, everybody, when, when, when anybody prayed, Lord, increase our faith, I said, Amen! I really need an increase. And I was so feeling-based. But know that if it happens to you, I hope it doesn't. I don't want it to, if only if God does. But know that it's not an uncommon experience. The disciples, the closest followers of Jesus Christ, were troubled with unbelief and found themselves not believing and refusing reports. Be encouraged. Well, you know that, um, you know, verse 14 you know that they met in 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 uh, John chapter twenty. There's a long passage about how how he rebuked them for not believing, and how he how how he blessed Thomas, but he blessed them more. If you believe for never having seen me, that's really the blessed person. That's the person that's an object of grace. 
Because I'll tell you this, plan A, and the only plan there is, the only plan there is since the apostolic age, there's only one plan, and it is to spread the word by word of mouth and by this written book. That's it. And God gets all the glory. You're, you're not going to see the miracles. You're not going to see the attesting signs. You're not going to see that anymore. I didn't say God will not work a miracle. I didn't say that. I'm saying in relationship to the preaching of, of the gospel, I, I cannot walk down from this place or any other pastor walk down and put my hand on somebody's head and make their cancer go away. That is not the sign. That's not the emblem. What the emblem is, is to change and transform lives of people that come to the Word. There's a transition being made here. All the reports were to be based on not on seeing Him, but believe what she says. Believe what Mary said. Take the Word back. That's, that's the new formula. And, and, and what did the one... When you look at the text down here, where, well... Let me make a comment about these things, uh, 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 these signs that, 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 that were present then, the casting on of demons and, 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 and the speaking in new tongues and, and the serpents and the poison and all that stuff. Many of those things did take place in the book of Acts. You remember when, when they kindled a fire on the island after the shipwreck and, and, and a viper came out of the, fi- the fire because it was warm and fastened on Paul's hand. And, and they thought, ah, ha, ha. These, these natives thought he's evaded justice, but, 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 but God's got him now. And, and he just shook the serpent off. And they thought he was going to fall down dead. And he didn't. And they thought he was a god. You know, just one extreme to the other. All I'll say about these things is, is, is one broad statement. These are not imperatives. You're not commanded to drink poison. You're not commanded to pick up serpents. That's, even though these texts have been abused, and, and maybe you can see it on YouTube for all I know, that is not what's being commanded here. It's simply a declarative statement. The broadest statement is this, and, and, and here is comfort for your souls, okay? I'm comforted by it. You all, all of you, Jim Golly has had a deep taste of this most recently. You are immortal. You will live for as long as God wants you to live. He has numbered all of your days before there was even one of them. You do not have to have anxiety in the path of duty serving him. You will live. I, I love the way my fellow pastor prays about Athan Waldron, who, who's, who's going to Afghanistan. Based on the same principle here, he's as safe there as he is here. Because God is in just as much control of all that's going on in Afghanistan. It's not a question of geography. It's not a question of circumstance. It's a question of a sovereign God. And, and, and praise God, you will not die prematurely. You will be healed over and over again until the day comes for your departure. But he does work through means. If I can just say this, you can't control how old you are. 
You can't control your genes and chromosomes. You can't control that. But you have something to say about your diet and about your exercise, okay? I say that because I love you. You can do something about that. You can minimize those problems by the way you eat and by the way you live. You can do better. You can do it. God will be glorified in it. He uses the means. Do everything that's safe. Take proper precaution. But know that you are immortal. You will not die before your time. What a comfort that is. That, wow, these, these missionaries that go into dangerous places, some of them do die. And what happens to them? They go to heaven. Others do not die. And they continue on in this earthly ministry. Well, finally then, look, look, at, look what the one who came out of the grave, who came out of the tomb, look what he said. Look what he wanted done. We can quote it from Matthew 28 and, and, and confirm what, what he is saying in verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be, will, uh, be condemned. Look what he said in Matthew 28. Uh, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated. That's, that's the prophecy. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But notice the unbelief is even there. But some were doubtful. That's what it says. And, but some were doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me. The doubt wasn't going to stop him. The unbelief was never going to stop him. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations. Spread it far and wide, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. This wonderful promise. I'm with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you all the way. What are you going to do with that, HBC? Family of faith. What are we going to do? We have got to do something. We've got to grow in this missionary endeavor. We've got to do it. We're going to have a class on it. I, I hope many of you will come. But we've got to do our part. This is the plan of the risen Christ that the nations be reached. We, we, we've got to participate. Just do a small thing. Just do a little thing. Nick and Taylor Knapp were just standing here. They want to reach out to 950 students. Won't, won't you be a part of that? Let's do it. Let's, let's make a decision like we make a decision to buy a pizza. Let's, let's, let's give that to them. Let's enable them to reach foreign students, to, to, to reach students with open hearts, who, who are moldable and interested and curious. Why not do that? If you want to get into mission, just a wee bit more, click reply. Click reply to any HBC News and say, PK, put me on that missions list. Just click reply. Put me on that list. I'll put you on there. And if you get something about a missionary that, that, that you don't know or you want to know more, quick reply again and say, tell me something more about this missionary, and I'll send it to you. 
If you're not satisfied, click reply again. And I'll send it to you. I'm not kidding. I will. Because this is an area that that, that we want to grow in. Well, let me close with the ascension then. That it... That is so um, matter-of-factly spoken. I'm telling you, in Acts chapter 1, it's just as matter-of-factly spoken to this glorious event. It says, so then after, verse 19, So then after the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. <laughs> Same like, sort of matter-of-fact kind of a little phrase here. Wow! How happy we can be for our Savior. Don't you rejoice in his joy and pleasure. Finally, rest for him. He sits down, not because he's tired, but he sits down because his work is done. He's finished. He, he sits down because that's where he rules from. He, he sits down on the right hand of God because that's the most glorious spot to be. Put it down, dear people. There's a man. There's a man at the right hand of God. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He did not leave His humanity behind. He is joined forever with humanity. And it is that Son of Man. He told Pilate, you'll see me coming back with the clouds. He's going to judge the living and, and the dead. That, he is the, he, he's our intercessor. He's the one just by being there. Just His wounds. Just His presence covers us all. We, 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 we've got a living intercessor forever. Acts 5.31 says, He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance. You need repentance. Anybody here need repentance. You don't feel sorrow for sin. You don't want to leave your sins. Call on the Christ that grants it. Give it to me. I want to have it. This is Sunday, isn't it? Sunday is the echo. Mark Dever said this. I was so blessed. Sunday is the echo of the resurrection around the entire world. Everybody, everybody worships. Every Christian worships on the first day of the week in a special set-apart way of rest and praise and thanksgiving. It echoes all over the world. Sunday. What is the big deal with Sunday? Well, it's the day that, that, that he rose from the dead. Let me just close with, uh, with two quotes. This is from this wonderful man, Edwards. He says, The resurrection does not magically dispel fear and cowardice, transforming fallible human characters in, into faithful disciples. Faithful discipleship consists of following Jesus, not contemplating, not thinking about following him, but doing it and acting courageously on his behalf, not standing on the sidelines and watching. You see, the resurrection didn't do anything for anybody who heard about it or even witnessed it. Grace needed to come. Life-transforming grace needed to come. The event only strengthens faith but it doesn't give faith, just like the cross doesn't give faith either. You've got to have grace to see the cross and, and understand it. He says that, um, that Mark has emphasized, he's warned that the signs and miracles of, of his gospel do not evoke faith. 
The same note persists at the resurrection. The greatest of all signs, even the visitation of angels at an empty tomb, fails to produce faith. Faith comes rather through hearing the gospel and a personal encounter with the one who was crucified and now raised from the dead. I was in little India, and it was last week or the week before, and I heard Biju preach on this text in all of his simplicity and profundity. Profundidad in Espanol. It was deep. His application was simple like this. He is risen. Do you believe? He is risen. Do you believe he talked to his own countrymen? That's all that matters. I'm going to tell you something. That the best evidence... The best evidence that Christianity is real, listen to me, the best evidence is the believing church of God. It's right here. Don't ever doubt the reality of Christianity when the world is full of churches. They're, they're meeting under trees. They're meeting in houses. They're meeting in huge, beautiful buildings. They're meeting in humble They're meeting in warehouses. What is the best evidence? What's the most convincing evidence? Is that God has changed us all. It's, it's, a, it's a better miracle than being healed from, the, from your sickness, from your disease. It, it's better than, than sight for the blind. It's better than being able to hear again. It's better than not stuttering all the time. The greater gift by far is to be saved. You ask anybody in here, anybody who's doubting, ask somebody in here what happened to them. And they'll say a miracle. In so many words, I say, a miracle of grace has come to me. This is the standing, immovable, ineradicable. It cannot be erased on the face of the earth. Whatever steps have been taken to snuff it out and to bulldoze down houses and to blow people up and to incarcerate people and cut their heads off and do all these other terrible things, Christianity thrives. It will thrive till Christ comes back. Why don't you come with us? Please, please come with us. We're going to heaven by his grace. Please believe in the one who lived and died, rose from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of God right now. He will receive you. He'll have you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We got, he's our chief treasure. We have nothing else that even compares to the value he is to us. Will you please minister comfort and encouragement to these dear sheep? May the Airbus land for all of them in a happy place. May everyone rejoice and praise you for your risen son. And for caring about Peter. <laughs> All these things you've done, you've showed us. God, bring in, bring in these unbelievers here. Make the light dispel the darkness here. Make them say, wow, he's got to be real. He's, I've got to have him. Create that. Give conviction for sin. Give faith. Give the repentance, oh Christ. You have the right hand of God. Pour it out upon us. We ask it in your name and for your glory. Amen.